you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Good morning, City on a Hill. How are we doing today? Good. It is good to be with you and good to be back behind the preaching stand this week. Last week, I was visiting our friends at City on Hill, Geelong, uh, and lovely community down there. Even better because we've sent a few Melbourne Easters who have gone for a sea change. Uh, They send their love, but it was great to be there and great to be back with you. If you are new or visiting, my name is Nick. I get the joy of being the pastor of this church. And today, the joy of opening uh, one sentence along with you in Colossians 1, verse 16. Uh, Hey, yesterday, before we get into the text, yesterday was a big day for our state. The Socceroos won. Come on. How good. So good. Hey, but whoever you voted for yesterday, one thing the Bible does make clear to us is that we should be praying for our government and our leaders. Uh, And in a sense, the Bible's clear, it does tell us that actually leaders in, in, in government have been put there by God himself, in order to exercise in some kind of mysterious sense his uh, you know, restraining evil and promoting good. Uh, and so that gives us something to pray for, that we should be prayerful uh, that Dan Andrews, that the Labor government re-elected uh, yesterday, might lead toward that end. And so we should pray. Let's pray uh, before we, for the word uh, and also for that. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you so much for your word. And we thank you particularly for this passage of scripture that lifts our eyes to Jesus. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, would you give us the hearts that are big enough to take all of this truth, this vision of him in. Lord, we thank you that that last week we heard Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. He is the king who's been given the power in our world. And so we come to you and ask for your blessing uh, upon our state. Lord, we pray for Dan Andrews. We pray for the Labor government. We pray that they may be able to serve the people of this state in a way that leads us to be able to live a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. We pray that you would lead our state toward righteousness, integrity, unity and love. We pray that you would create conditions in our state, best fitting for all people to know you, to hear of you, to freely respond to you and then freely live for you. And so empower us within our 
realm of responsibility, empower us to be citizens who serve and live in such a way that our neighbours see the fruit of Jesus being in our lives. May our state experience us as salt and light as we shine your love into this world. And so equip us to be those people, the people you are calling us up to be, but the people we can't be without you and without your Holy Spirit. And so do something now toward that end with this passage as we look to you in Colossians 1.16. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Well, as you're turning there, whether it's in um, digital form or paper form, do come to Colossians 1.16. Uh, and as you go in there, let me tell you uh, about a decision I made when I was 21. It was a very 21-year-old decision. I decided I was going to jump out of a plane. I went skydiving. And I remember it well. I remember on the, the way up, the, the little plane, very rickety, being pushed around in the wind. Uh, one of the other young women I was uh, kind of in the crew with, jumping out of the plane with, was hyperventilating. Uh, and I was almost doing the same, particularly at the point when the scariest of all is when you have to dangle your feet out of the side of the plane just before you lurch uh, out and it, it's all over. Uh, and that's the most scary because it's, it's kind of the, the peak moment of uncertainty at that moment. Of what, what is it going to feel like? What is it going to B, is this going to work? And then I jumped out and I fell and I fell some more. And then poof, the parachute kind of pulls you back and you have before that pullback moment, like the, the, the shortest, most intense prayer session you've ever had <laughs> in your life. And then the pullback is like God saying, it's okay, it's okay. And you now are just floating. In the parachute. And I've got to say that, that as soon as the parachute came out, suddenly the adrenaline kind of had peaked and it had stopped. And to be honest, skydiving became a bit boring once, once you were parachuted out because you are, you are there hanging and very slowly and surely. It just feels like a really great view of the world. And yet you're in this really awkward, very personal moment with someone strapped to you whom you've never met before. And you have to like talk about the weather and, and, and that kind of thing, just on your slow descent. And so once everything was like back in control, suddenly my, my emotional state was back to completely normal and it just felt very, very meh. I tried to kind of inject some adrenaline into my kids' lives when we were on holiday recently, uh, early this year up north. Uh, we went on through Coffs Harbour and in Coffs Harbour, you've got to stop at the Big Banana. Uh, and so we stopped at the Big Banana. At the Big Banana, there's this, this big slide that they have where you kind of get in the potato sack and you head on down the slide. I thought this would be great for my kids. Axel, he's six. He's, he's, he's at ripe old age for this kind of thing. He didn't agree. Uh, and so he wasn't very happy that we were making him do this big slide. And the woman who was up the kind of the, the, the staff member uh, at the Big Banana, uh, even though he wasn't agreeing, she kind of knew, hey, he's just a kid. And so he was like saying, no, no, no. And she pushed him down the slide. <laughs> And on the down the slide, the whole way, he was crying and wailing. And it, has, it was too much for him. Uh, I guess that, that sense of being out of control uh, had over kind of burdened him. It was too much. Uh, and I share those couple of stories just because, isn't it true that our, our general emotional stability and our sense of peace in the world, it's really determined by how in control we feel of what's going on in our lives, around us, and also what, what, what's going to be in our future. And wherein that starts to be shaky, 
And sometimes we, we do that on purpose to, to generate uh, adrenaline. But wherein that starts to be shaky, we ourselves get a bit shaky. And uh, I say that because as we enter into the world of Colossians chapter 1, we do need to enter back into the world of Colossae, into, to which it was written. And the Apostle Paul was writing this book, and particularly this little section here that focuses in on Jesus, to a church, to a people who really wanted a sense of control. We can pick up from, from some of the, the data points in the rest of the book that there were some teachers at the time in uh, and around this church, and at least in the, the city, who were telling these Christians that, hey, hey, that Jesus stuff that you've got, you've adopted at some point in the last kind of couple of decades, that Jesus stuff, that's all good. That's all good. But if you really want to be truly mature, if you really want to be truly spiritual, if you really want to live your best life, if you really want that, that kind of sense of everything's going to be okay, sense of control, then you've got to add into that kind of cocktail of convictions you've got about Jesus a little bit, a little bit more. You've got to throw in a little bit of worship of angels. You've got to make sure that you do the right religious rituals and performances at the right time, that you fast at these particular days. And if you can perform these kind of religious rituals and hold these particular convictions, then you, you, you're assured. It's like, like the genie in the bottle. It's like, you are going to be in control. Your future is going to be okay. You're safe. Now, in some ways, it's actually not too dissimilar from our own day because all of us are looking for that sense of control. It's not a, not a religious thing. It's a human thing. I know uh, back in my day when I was a kid, Goran Ivanisevic, remember that guy, the tennis player? Uh, he's famous for his kind of superstitions around tennis. And whenever he would win a match, the very next day, he would try to live out Groundhog Day. And so do exactly the same thing that he did on the day that he won to perpetuate the winning. Because then it would be in his control if he could just do the same thing. And maybe we don't do something so obvious as that, but all of us are looking for things which we can peg our emotional stability to because they tell us everything is going to be okay. Maybe for us here in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, maybe it's, maybe it's a growing superannuation account. Maybe it's a sizable bank account. Maybe you've finally been able to put the deposit down on your own home and you can take a deep sigh of relief that your future financially is all going to be okay. Maybe you're a more social person, you're a people person, and you think if you can just kind of consistently put out your presence there on social media to, to generate the, the engagement and uh, the clicks and the likes and the reassuring comments that there are people in your life who love you, who really like you, really fond of you. Whatever happens to you, you're going to have them. You're going to be okay in the future. Maybe you look around the circles of your life and as long as you can find one or two potential romantic prospects, you know that whatever's happening now, you're going to be able to, when you want to settle down, you can fall back on them. It's going to be okay. Romantically, you are going to be okay. Well, in the ancient world, they had this much more kind of obvious superstition, religious ritual, magic. They told them it was going to be all okay. And we think, kind of 2,000 years later, <laughs> we're scientific. We're educated people yet we're not actually too dissimilar. Whether it's money, relationships, reputation, we grasp at these things because we're looking for security in a world that seems, or a life that seems so insecure. And so in this section, Paul wants to insert here in his writings to the Colossians, he wants to tell them who actually is in control. 
He wants to help us get a sense of safety, security, by not looking within, not looking around, but looking up at Jesus. So we're going to just look at this one sentence in Colossians uh, 1.16. Essentially, we're looking at kind of a sentence per week, all the way up to Easter. Uh, And so the verse starts out this way. All the way up to Christmas, sorry. (laughs) The cross is coming soon. We'll get there. You know, I actually made the same mistake last week in Geelong, but it's Groundhog Day. Uh, It starts out like this. For by him... All things were created. For by him, him being Jesus, all things were created. And that little word at the beginning, for, is always important because it comes packed with the weight of the truth that we heard about last week or whatever comes before it. And in this case, Paul's telling us that what we heard last week, that that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He is those things. He has that authority because by him... All things were created. Jesus is the creator. Now, you might be familiar with the, the Bible's vision of the beginning. They're in the book of the beginnings, Genesis. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You might be familiar with that and you're thinking, where's, I don't see Jesus. Where, where, where's Jesus? What's going on here? Well, Christians have always held that uh, creation happened uh, out of nothing. In Latin, it's called ex nihilo. And while there was nothing, there was something or someone. There was God himself. And out of that nothing, God spoke and everything came to be. God simply said, let there be light. And there was light. Let there be an expanse. And there was the sky. Let there be a separation of the waters and the land and the Seas. Let the earth spout vegetation and so on and so forth. And on this went. And we live in a day that has its own explanations for how the universe began. But if we actually double-clicked in and, and dived in to the complexity, the intricacy, the design, the beauty, the sheer power of creation, it could be said that it actually takes more faith to believe that all of this that we experience has come out of nothing for no reason, might take more faith to believe that than to believe that there actually is a God, and if there is a God, by definition, can do all things that He created us. And so as you read through Genesis, yeah, where is Jesus? Well, Colossians comes along and provides us more insight into what was going on back then. It tells us that Jesus is the agent of creation. You see, Christians believe more than what theists believe. We don't just believe that that God exists, that that God is there. We don't just believe that that God created all things. We believe that Jesus is that God who created all things or by whom all things were created. There's another book of the Bible that you might be familiar with that gives us a lot more detail. Uh, One of the biographies of Jesus written by one of his closest friends, John. It starts by wanting to lift our eyes to who it is that he's going to go on and give the biography about. Jesus, and it refers to him as the Word and says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made 
that was made. And so the New Testament wants to make sure that we know that while we, we perhaps don't know all the inner workings of the, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and sure there are some things that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit do together, we are being told here that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, is the, the agent of creation, that he was there executing on the plans of God, making them happen. And so Jesus is, is famous for perhaps have, trying his hand at carpentry when he was in the flesh on earth, and yet he'd been building for a long time. He built all that we know and all that exists. And the all here that Paul says, he, he really wants us to know that, that he means it because he, he unpacks what it is that, that Jesus made. And so the first unpacking is he made all things in heaven and on earth. So let's just take, take a moment to think about what it means that Jesus made all things. Because there are some incredible things that we know of that Paul's saying Jesus made. I've shared before in a sermon how I watched a, a David Attenborough documentary once on frogs and discovered that there were these frogs that, you know, they have antifreeze in their blood. And so in winter, they can kind of freeze. It's like if a blizzard comes, they're like, all right, this is it, I'm done for a few months. And they just kind of freeze. And then a few months later, because of what's in their blood, they just unfreeze and hop along. It's like, gee, my wife, I should have told her I'm going to be late. Like they're three months late coming home after winter. But they just hop, hop back home. You know, in the, there are trees in the African savannah that if an animal starts to kind of eat at its leaves, it, it releases these, these invisible toxins that are poisonous to these animals and releases a, a, a gas so that all the like, the same trees of the same species, all the same trees in the area know to do the same thing, to protect themselves. It's incredible. We could go on and on. I'm sure there's millions of different systems, uh, complex, intricate, that have been baked and built into the world. There are some, apparently, 8.7 million species of plants and animals in the world, and we have only, at this point, identified 1.2 million of them. We have only searched 5% of the ocean so far. I am not volunteering for the, next, the other 95%. But from some of the animals you see at the bottom of the ocean already, that is enough for me. Jesus made, Jesus designed, Jesus thought up, Jesus built and created all of this. When Jules was pregnant, uh, I remember finding out some new crazy information that happens during pregnancy. You know, uh, babies, their saliva tells the mother's breast milk what antibodies it needs so that it can heal itself. It's like the bossiness of babies was built in <laughs> to their genetics. Incredible. Jesus created all the billions of uh, the, the, the pairs of code in the human genome. He created the DNA that very famously kind of you know, wraps in, in, in a coil. And apparently, my mind can't really get around this, but apparently if you, if you are to un-kind of wind the, the double helix, the coil of every cell, uh, it would be six feet per cell. And so if you tied them together uh, on and on and on, and on the, the, the DNA in your body could be unwrapped. I imagine it would be very thin, but could wrap 150,000 times from here to the moon. 
Jesus made all this. Speaking of space, we haven't even got to space it. We talk about all the different whirlpool galaxies, the, the heat and the weight and the light of the sun, which is tiny compared to others. The differing dynamics of gravity across all the planets. And Jesus made all of this. And the point of Paul telling the Colossians, this is the point of him having it in the Scriptures for us today, is to blow our minds at the reality of the bigness of Jesus. And perhaps even more importantly, to blow up our hearts, to enlarge our hearts that we might delight in, marvel at, be in awe of this Jesus who is supreme, who is mighty, who is Lord. All things are created by Jesus. And so the sense we should get as we read uh, all, all of this, Colossians 1, 15, all the way down to at least 20, is a little bit like uh, the sense that Job is meant to get at the, book of, at the end of the book of Job. If you haven't read the book of Job, let me recommend it to you. Uh, first 36 chapters, you'll be like, why did Nick recommend this to me? And then chapter 37 will come, and the last few chapters will come. If you don't know the story of Job, he, he suffers terribly, loses everything. It's an awful beginning. And he spends over 36 chapters complaining about it, complaining to his friends. And there's actually, a lot of that complaint is warranted. And yet his friends are there, and they're not very helpful as friends, because they're telling him that this must have happened because there's something in you, Job. I'm sure there's something about you that, that caused this. And then God shows up. And in response to all of Job's complaints, God says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Have you commanded the morning since the days began and caused the dawn to know its place? Could you send forth lightnings and they show up and say, here we are. And Job is left speechless. He can't answer, but to repent. All things are created by Jesus. So we need to marvel at his power. We need to feast on this reality. We should be weak need at the thought of his supremacy. And it's not just us. It's those not on earth as well, because we're told, as Paul goes on, that Jesus made all things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. And so Jesus made and reigns over the spiritual world. And the emphasis in the wording here is, is particularly the, the negative, the evil spiritual world. And there's a story in uh, the Gospels, uh, one of my kids' favorite stories, where Jesus gets in a boat with his disciples and they head across the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and Jesus falls asleep in this boat, but a storm arises and the disciples are freaking out about the storm. And they wake up Jesus and, and Jesus doesn't speak so much to the disciples, he speaks to the storm and he tells the weather to be still. It knows who Jesus is. It listens to him and it's still. And the disciples are left thinking, who is this guy? Even the wind and the waves obey him. 
And if that question was in our minds, the next story makes it clear because they get to the end of the sea, the other side of the sea, and Jesus is met by a guy who's possessed by evil spirits. And he's been kicked out of the city nearby. He's been put in chains. Nobody can control him. And yet as soon as this man, or as soon as the spirits within him, see Jesus, they know who he is. And they fall before him and say, what have you to do with me, son of the most high God? And so Jesus tells the weather what to do and he does it. It it does it. Jesus tells the evil spirits what to do. And they do it. Christians can often overemphasize, can't we, the, the power of the devil, of his servants, as if every negative thing in our life has been caused by him. Or as if we might accidentally fall under his possession if we watch the wrong movie. Or we might unwittingly get the mark of the beast on us and we're done. Now Paul is telling us something that he says elsewhere. He says, the demons and the devils of this world, they have nothing on Jesus. Jesus is in charge. Jesus is in control. Any authority they do have is in submission to Jesus. The time that they're here for is set by Jesus. The leash that they're on in the world It's Jesus holding the end of that leash. All things were created by Jesus. See, there's there's a reason, there's backing behind why one of the most frequent commands in the Bible to us is to fear not, to not be afraid. Because there is not anything in this world, visible or invisible, that is outside of Jesus' creation and therefore outside of his, the, or his authority. And that Jesus is this powerful is good news for us. Elsewhere, Paul applies his power to us and his love for us. I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The light in this reality. And it is hard for us to do, isn't it? It's hard for us to come to grips with. And that's why Paul wants to write this section here. Because this Colossian church was being told to do external things to reassure themselves. Put on religious ritual to make sure that you feel that sense of control. Pull out the rosary. Pray through it so that you can reassure yourself that everything's going to be all right. And we assume that, that religion is, is exactly like that, isn't it? We, we assume that that's why it's here, that us, us to perform these things, do these things, to give us this sense of Control, say the right things, perform the right duties, be a part of the right services or rituals. In his great book, uh, Deeper, author Dane Ortland, he shares this helpful illustration. He says, think about how we, we grow physically. We have to eat food. And where does the food go? It has to go inside of us, down into the depths. We have to get it on the inside. But when we make it just about performance... It's as if we're we're trying to grow by just smearing the food on the outside of our body. 
I got a picture, I think, of, of what, what that looks like to smear the food. You know, it's childish, isn't it? We, we, we can't quite get it in. We, we miss all the time and it ends up a mess. It's cute, but as we mature, we should mature past cute. And as Jesus said to the religion of his own day, so many of you are obsessed with washing the outside of the cup or the outside of the tomb, and yet inside, you're full of dead men's bones. And so we need to get the reality of who Jesus is inside of us. We need to internalize this. And this is why Paul is telling us and giving us this reality, this vision, this picture of Jesus. That we might lap it up, that we might feast on it, that we might delight in these realities that Jesus is the one who's in control. And so if you want good news, if you want certainty in a world of uncertainty, security in a world of insecurity, get the reality of this Jesus into you. Lap it up. Do you have a moment every day before you encounter the uncertainty of the world, before you're struck by the insecurity of your heart or mind? Do you have a, do you have a moment in your day where you can get sure on what is most certain? We can have your, your mind and your heart reminded of who really is in charge of your day. Lap up the realities of Jesus in the Bible. Internalize this truth. We do not live by bread alone, but by God's word like this. And so notice what we uh, haven't got to yet, this last little phrase of the sentence. All things were created through him and for him. And so Paul ends the, the reality about Jesus creating all things by then giving us the purpose of creation. C.S. Lewis, the author of the Narnia series, uh, he's got a great quote about why it is that he, he kind of came to believe in, in Christianity. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. He's saying, quite simply, that Christianity helps make sense of the world. It helps make sense of our human experience. There's a resonance between what the Scriptures say and what we ourselves experience in life. And I think I can observe one of those experiences where this verse, particularly this, this little phrase, how it helps us make sense of it. Because on the one hand, don't we observe uh, many people, and maybe there's, there's people here today, that many of us, we, we carry around this sense of purposelessness in our life, this sense of meaninglessness. We never really grow out of that sense as kids of wanting to ask why to every answer. Because we seem wired to need that sense of direction, sense of purpose behind the world. And this little phrase comes along, and that little word for tells us and is kind of loaded with the purpose of your life and mine, the purpose of the universe that you were made for God. You were made for Christ. There is eternity in our hearts. And it won't be filled by anything other than knowing the one who made you and formed you and loves you. We can find a purpose and a point to our lives 
when we acknowledge that the power and the authority that exists by virtue of Jesus being our creator, that suddenly life starts to make sense. That when there's moments of great gratitude and thankfulness in your heart, you now have someone to thank. That when there's moments of great darkness or difficulty or grief in your life, you now have someone to to lament to, to be comforted by, to, to come before. We now have a a vision for our future, an explanation for our past. Something that helps us understand that things can be beautiful and at the same time be very broken. It's because of that brokenness, because of our sin, that there's also the reality on the other hand that, that some of us actually have no problem with purposelessness. We actually enjoy a great sense of direction, a great sense of of purpose about our lives, and yet it's placed in the wrong thing. We live as if all things were made through Him for us. And that never really quite works. You and I were not made to be at the center. And you can observe what happens when someone is at the center of their world. You see this when, when, when people get famous. That when, when fame, you know, humans were not made to be famous. And fame seems to shape us and distort us or inflate us beyond the, the good and healthy limits upon which we were made. And that's true for, for celebrity pastors or uh, celebrity presidents or premiers or celebrity anything. Paul says all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And yet our hearts want to exist as if it's all things were created through Jesus and for us. In the last couple of weeks, I've been uh, listening to the audiobook of The Lord of the Flies. Something happens when you, when you grow up and get past high school. Is In high school, you were assigned all these books that you never read because you thought they were super boring. And then you get graduate high school and you grow up and you think, oh, that book actually seems really interesting. I might go back and, and have a read. And so that was me with The Lord of the Flies. Uh, if you don't know the story, the story is about uh, a group of boys who are stranded on a deserted island and their attempts to survive, be rescued, and live together in the meantime. And uh, mainly in response to how they should react to an imaginary beast that's apparently on the island. They split into two tribes, and one tribe is, is led by Ralph, who, who wants law and order, and one tribe is led by Jack, and uh, the split there is kind of summed up by what Jack says. He says, which is better, to have rules and agree or to hunt and kill? And it's a, a fitting commentary, this book, that highlights what goes wrong when we disconnect ourselves from that sense of authority, and that sense of a, a moral compass, when it's limited and regulated by knowing that there is someone outside of us, outside of our own passions and desires. And after it all goes pear-shaped, the book ends with the famous quote from Ralph. Ralph wept for the end of innocence and the darkness of man's heart. Because things go bad and our hearts are exposed when we become disconnected from the foundation of, of order and structure and life that comes when we live conscious of the life giver, conscious of the creator, conscious that we live under the watchful eye of the God of the Bible. 
And so for those of us drifting in purposelessness, you need to know you were made for Jesus. Your life exists for Jesus. Your energy, your breath, your resources exist for Jesus. And for those of us who are very purposeful, but with ourselves at the center, you need to know you were made for Jesus. You were made for Jesus to be at the center of your ambition, Jesus to be at the center of your life. And it's only when we have him at the center where we enjoy and find peace and contentment in the reality of the limitations we have in our humanity. And so that brings us full circle. So we are people who long for a sense of control and that inner emotional stability and peace that our lives and our future are going to be okay. Religious ritual alone will not provide it. Putting ourselves at the center of our life where Jesus should be will distort it. I read a quote uh, that was shared by Guy Mason this week from John Piper. It said, All the planets of your life, your sexuality and desires, your commitments and beliefs, your aspirations and dreams, your attitudes and convictions, your habits and disciplines, your solitude and relationships, your labor and leisure, your thinking and feeling, all the planets of your life are held in orbit by the greatness and gravity and blazing brightness of the supremacy of Jesus Christ at the center of your life. And if he ceases to be the bright, blazing, satisfying beauty at the center of your life, the planets will fly into confusion and a hundred things will be out of control and sooner or later they'll crash into destruction. We were made to know Christ as he really is. So where is your faith in right now, church? Gospel faith knows Jesus is in control. Gospel faith knows that Jesus is supreme. Gospel faith knows that Jesus holds our future. And we can rest in the reality of that. In the fourth century, a group of theologians came together to try to summarize what the Bible said about this Jesus. They had statements like this in Colossians and elsewhere. They wanted to bring together to give a good statement about the person of Jesus, and it came together with what we now know to be the Nicene Creed, and it describes Jesus this way, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. And then it reminds us of this incredible thing, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven. See, Colossians 1.16 tells us that all things were made for Jesus. And yet we know from elsewhere in the Bible, all things being made for Jesus, still Jesus came for us. Jesus entered into His creation for us and for our salvation. See, what's amazing is that the higher that we see Jesus in His grandeur and His might and majesty, the more amazing it will be to us that Jesus has come. This mighty, majestic Jesus has entered into this bruised, battered and broken world. Jesus humbled Himself by taking on flesh. Jesus humbled Himself even further by becoming a servant and humbled Himself even further by serving us so well in obedience to the point of death on a cross the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation the one 
by whom and for whom all things exist, humbled himself for you, for us. He doesn't wield his power over us. He wields his power for us. That we might be brought to him, that we might know him. And so you can trust this Jesus. You can entrust yourself to this Jesus. And then tomorrow, or whenever the next thing hits you in your life that makes you shaky, you can entrust yourself to Jesus all over again. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so in a world that thrives off that kind of often latent background anxiety and uncertainty about the future, here we have a Jesus in whom there is no uncertainty, in whom there is all assurance because he went to the cross for us. If God has not held back his only son, but given him to us, Romans says, how will he not also graciously with him give us all things? All the promises of God are assured for you because this Jesus has come to live, die, and rise for you. And so let the promises of God to you be more weighty in your life than the scares and uncertainties of the world or the whispers of our own insecurities. Keep trusting Jesus. Keep looking to Jesus. Keep entrusting yourself to Jesus. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we praise you for Jesus, that by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. God, help us internalize that. Help us know that. Help us have a strong sense of conviction within us, come what may, that Jesus is on the throne, that Jesus has all authority, that Jesus is all powerful. So Lord, would you open up our hearts? Would you expand our hearts that this truth might be readily available within our spirit the next time we're prone to wander, the next time we're prone to doubt, the next time circumstances make us question. Lord, help us see Jesus there and know that you are reigning supreme, that our lives, that our circumstances, that this world exists because of you and for you. So we thank you for Jesus, that you have come to reconcile us to you, that you have come to forgive us, to wipe our debt clean, and to embrace us in the use of your authority and power on our behalf. May we accept that. May we enjoy that. May we rest in that today. In Jesus' mighty name, and all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.